0: We are in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, I already read part of it, but uh, of verse 6, but I'm going to read also with that verse 7. This is, will be our text Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and today we're looking at what I call big government, big government from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you. you may be seated. So looking at big government this morning, big government, and I don't know if you're like I am, I don't like big government, but in fact the kind of government we're going to look at today I do like this kind of big government. It all depends on who's running it, right? And what we're going to see today is the Lord Jesus Christ is running this big government, and that's okay. But speaking of government, there was a robber. He held up a well-dressed man by pointing his gun at him and saying, give me all your money. Well, the man replied, don't you know who I am? I'm a United States congressman. The robber thought a moment, kept pointing his gun, and said, in that case, give me all my money. <laughs> Let's look this morning at big Government, big government. First of all, I want you to see this child's son, who, of course, is Jesus. He is a sovereign ruler. He has a sovereign ruler. This child has the mantle of rulership. It says here, the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government's on his shoulder. That means he's entitled to it. The government is upon his shoulder. That means he can handle it. In fact, Jesus grew up to say that he has all authority, all authority. Look here in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, in the Greek that word means authority, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So Jesus has all authority in heaven. Jesus has all authority on earth. He has the mantle of rulership. But what I want to look at this morning when we look at Jesus' ruling is the already and the not yet. So in other words, Jesus is already ruling But then there's an aspect of which he's not yet ruling. And we're going to look at that as we go along today. So the already and the not yet of Jesus ruling. Already, as we talk about Jesus as a sovereign ruler, already, as coexistent, co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father, Jesus rules. He rules the affairs of heaven. He rules the affairs of earth. He rules the affairs of mankind. He is a sovereign ruler. He is already ruling. And as we learn here in the text, he is a just ruler. Now, God is just by definition, so everything he does is just. But it says here in verse 7 that everything he does is ordered by justice. In other words, God acts based on his just nature. So already he is ruling in this way. But what about the not yet? The not yet, the yet to come. As I talked about last week, Jesus will rule physically on this earth for 1,000 years. He will physically rule on this earth for 1,000 years. We read about that in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 1. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, and he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a 1,000 years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the 1,000 years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season." And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I don't know if you picked up a theme of a thousand years in that very short passage I just read to you. But Jesus will rule physically on this earth for 1,000 years. And notice some things that I read in that passage. First of all, Satan will be bound for those thousand years. Not only that, judgment will be administered during those thousand years. And of course, we see from this page that's still up there on your screens, Jesus uh, believers will reign for a thousand years. I want you to know that the earth will be ruled with excellence during this thousand-year period. It will be ruled with excellence. That which is right will always prevail. Jesus' government will administer perfect justice. His subjects will have no cause or gripe to complain. You know, we like to complain about our elected officials, right? We, we complain about the president. We complain about the Congress. We complain about senators. We complain about our local administrators and so on. But when Jesus is ruling, his subjects will have no cause whatsoever to gripe or complain because everything will be done with excellence and everything will be done with perfection. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we sing about his kingdom this kingdom I'm talking about, this thousand-year kingdom, we sing about it in, the, in this Christmas carol, Joy to the World. But I want to tell you this morning that Joy to the World is not a Christmas carol. Joy to the World is a kingdom carol. And think about what we sing when we sing Joy to the World. We say the Lord has come. In other words, he's here. We talk about how earth receives her king. We know that earth hasn't received Jesus as king yet, not entirely. We sing about how the Savior reigns. We sing about how sins and sorrows are eliminated. That certainly hasn't happened yet. We sing about how he rules with truth, grace, and righteousness. That's not happening yet. And so when we think we're singing a Christmas carol, we're actually singing a kingdom carol. And the guy that wrote it, that was his intent from the very beginning, that it would be a kingdom carol, not a Christmas carol. But anyway, we see Jesus, this child, prophesied here in Isaiah. He is a sovereign ruler. Now, you know, at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus in the manger. That is appropriate because Jesus was born at what we celebrate. We call it Christmas time. And so at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus in the manger. But my friends, please don't leave him there. Don't leave Jesus in the manger because he grew up. He grew up. Not only did he grow up, he was nailed up to a cross. After he died on that cross, he rose up from the dead. And then he ascended up into heaven, and he will show up again to rule on this earth for 1,000 years. Jesus is a sovereign ruler. Don't leave him in the manger. In your mind or in your heart, let him grow up to be the ruler that he is. So we see he's a sovereign ruler. Secondly, I want you to see he's an eternal ruler. He's an eternal ruler. This child's government is never-ending. As we read back there in verses 6 and 7, his government is never-ending. In other words, Jesus never steps down. He never gets voted out. He never gets overthrown. He never dies. He never even goes to sleep, the Bible says. And his government will continue to increase. Look in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That's why I'm calling it big government. His government will continue to increase. Now what about the already and the not yet on that? Well, already Jesus is taking the throne of people's hearts worldwide. He is taking the throne of people's hearts worldwide. The kingdom of heaven is inside of us. Jesus himself said that in Luke 17, 21. He said, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And when Jesus enters our hearts, he takes over. Why? Because as a ruler, he's a ruler. And rulers rule. Rulers take over. One does not receive Jesus as Savior only. When one receives Jesus as Savior, he's already Lord. You see, there are those who teach, well, you need to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior, and then later on you'll understand he's your Lord. No, 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 no. When you receive Jesus as Savior, he's already Lord. He's God Almighty. What else could he be? So anyway, this is not two separate occurrences. Receive Jesus as Savior, then later on receive him as Lord. No, you receive him as Savior, and he's already Lord. That's the already, but what about the not yet, the not yet? Well, this physical kingdom that I'm talking about that lasts a thousand years, it begins with that thousand years, it begins with the millennium, and it continues into the new heaven and the new earth, and so Jesus is ruling and reigning for a thousand years, and that just continues to the new heaven and the new earth. We read about that in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Listen to this, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea, And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I don't know if you noticed, as John was writing that, all the new things he said are coming. He said there's going to be a new heaven. He said there's going to be a new earth. He said there's going to be a new Jerusalem. He said there's going to be a new life. What do I mean by that? No sorrow, no crying, no pain. That's a new life. And Peter picks up on this idea in 2 Peter 3.13. He says, there's also going to be a new normal. And the new normal on this earth will be righteousness. Look what Peter writes here. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so the physical kingdom lasts a thousand years. That's where it all begins. And it continues into the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the new life, and the new normal of righteousness. But I want you to know when Jesus is this eternal ruler, it's also covenantal. Not only is it already and not yet, it's covenantal. What do I mean? I mean it fulfills God's promise to David Look here at the Annunciation when the angel announces to Mary that she's going to have baby Jesus. It says, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, because God made a promise to David and told David he would never fail to have somebody on the throne, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so this kingdom is covenantal. The millennial kingdom will fulfill all of God's Old Testament promises and prophecies about the earth in general and the land of Israel in particular. Let me say that again. The millennial kingdom will fulfill all of God's Old Testament promises and prophecies about the earth in general and the land of Israel in particular. My friends, without a literal earthly kingdom, many prophecies would be left unfulfilled. I will tell you, there's a lot of churches that look at these same verses we've looked at today that talks about 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, and they say, well, those are just symbolic. We're to understand those spiritually. It's not an actual 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. If you don't give him his kingdom, then we've got all kinds of promises and prophecies in the Old Testament that never get fulfilled. And if you forget everything I say, remember this, God keeps all of his promises. Every single one of them, he keeps them all. And so God doesn't promise there's going to be a kingdom in the Old Testament and change his mind in the New Testament. Say, well, no, I changed my mind. I don't think we're doing that. No, we're doing that. He's doing that. And it will last a thousand years, and then it will go into the new heaven, the new earth, the new life, the new normal, and all of that that I talked about. And so we see that this child that was prophesied in Isaiah, he is a sovereign ruler. We see, secondly, he is an eternal ruler. We see, thirdly, he is a peaceful ruler, a peaceful ruler. In fact, he's called the Prince of Peace here. Notice the end of verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This child's peace is a lasting peace. There shall be no end to it. Just like the increase of his government, there's no end to it. There's no end to his peace either. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Now, again, we're going to look at the already and the not yet. How how is Jesus already the ultimate peacemaker? Well, first of all, he brings peace with God. You see, mankind is separated from God by our sin. The Bible says we are enemies of God because of our sin. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. He rose again from the dead. And because of that, we can have peace with God by grace through faith in Christ. And in fact, Jesus is spreading his peace one heart at a time. Not only is Jesus the ultimate peacemaker, bringing peace with God, but bringing also peace with mankind. Jesus taught that we are to forgive one another. You might remember, and I preached on it maybe six months ago or so, where Peter comes to Jesus one day. He says, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 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 not seven times. Seventy times seven. In other words, your forgiveness should be limitless. If you can forgive others, guess what? That helps you get along with them. Not only that, Jesus taught if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Don't fight back. Give them the other cheek. Again, to make peace. You might remember also Jesus told the story. He said if you're on your way to make your sacrifice at the altar and you remember somebody got a problem with you, leave your gift, go make things right with that other person, then come back and make your offering. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us to get along. He's teaching us to make peace with one another. So Jesus is already the ultimate peacemaker, making peace with God, making peace with man, and then giving us inner peace, inner peace. He gives us peace now by his Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. He gives us peace, inner peace, right now by his Spirit. And in fact, Paul would describe that same peace as the peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But even though Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, bringing peace with God, peace with man, inner peace, his peace comes at a cost. His peace comes at a cost. First of all, cost to him. It cost him his life because he was crucified. And because Jesus was crucified, On that cross. That is where we get our peace with God. That is where we get our peace with one another. That is where we get our inner peace. He paid a terrible price on the cross so that we could have peace. So his peace comes at a cost to him, the crucifixion. His peace comes to us at no cost. It is free to us by grace through faith when we believe that Jesus died on that cross to pay for our sins, that Jesus was buried for our sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead, when we truly believe that and receive that in our hearts, we have peace with God. We are inspired to have peace with one another. We have inner peace. But let us never forget that His peace came at a cost. He gave His own life so that we could have peace. So that's the already now. But what about the not yet? The not yet aspect of Jesus as the ultimate peacemaker, as the prince of peace. Well, Jesus is going to bring worldwide peace one day. Worldwide peace. First of all, among mankind. Everybody's going to get along. Everybody's going to be at peace across the entire world during that thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, this has certainly been the dream of social reformers through the centuries. But we learn that this is realized, this peace, global peace, is realized not by human effort or by governmental regulation, but by the righteous reign of Christ on this earth. That's how people get along. But not only will Jesus bring worldwide peace among mankind, he will bring global peace among the natural order. Now, you can read about this in Isaiah 11 and verse 6. You can read about it in Isaiah 65 and verse 25. And here's what's been popularized. The lion will lay down with the lamb. You heard that? The lion will lay down with the lamb. And that's what everybody thinks the Bible says. I will tell you the Bible does not say the lion will lay down with the lamb. What the Bible says, and you can read it for yourself, is the wolf will lay down with the lamb. That's what the Bible says. Now people say, well, somebody went along and changed the Bible. No, they didn't change the Bible. Well, where did we come up with the lion should lay down with the lamb? Well, if you've ever been, ever been to the Millennial Theater up in Lancaster, they have a big statue of a lion and a lamb. Maybe that's where you got the idea. Or maybe it's because people like alliteration. What I mean by that, when you memorize a list of things, if they can all start with the same letter, that helps you. So lion, lamb. Okay, So you got alliteration there. Not only that, we know elsewhere from the Bible, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Judah, he's the Lamb of God. And so you got that working there. But the Bible does not say, never did say, the Lion will lay down with the Lamb. It says the Wolf will lay down with the Lamb. But both tell the same story. There's not only going to be worldwide peace among mankind, there's going to be worldwide peace among the natural order. As I say so often, the Prince of Peace will rule over the earth at peace. From the City of Peace... Jerusalem let me say that again the prince of peace will rule over the earth at peace from the city of peace Jerusalem now you know right now and ever since this war started over there we have been praying for the peace of Jerusalem every Sunday when we're together we pray now for the peace of Jerusalem but I'm telling you what Jerusalem will become the headquarters of peace because the prince of peace will rule over the earth at peace from the city of peace Jerusalem that will become the headquarters of peace But not yet. It's coming. But just as our peace comes at a cost, it was the crucifixion of Christ, this worldwide peace also will come at a cost. And the cost is the battle of Armageddon. I talked about that last week from Revelation chapter 19. And I'm not going to repeat everything I said. I just want to give you kind of a thumbnail from Revelation chapter 19. You can read it on your own. When Jesus comes back as a warrior... Revelation 19 and verse 15 says, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. As I said last week, the battle of Armageddon begins with the appearing. Jesus appears on a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven. And then there's the gathering. All the armies of the earth have gathered together to do war against him. They think they can defeat the Lord Jesus Christ. How ridiculous can you be? And then there's the burning. It says there that there's a a pit. We call it hell, but fire and brimstone and the beast and false prophet, they are thrown into that fire. And then there's the killing. The rest of that chapter there, chapter 19 of Revelation, says that all the rest of the armies that have been gathered there, they are killed with the sword that comes out of the Lord Jesus' mouth. Now what does that mean, a sword coming out of his mouth? That means it's his word. His word. And so by his very word, he will destroy all the armies of the earth. I think it's interesting. I said it last week. The Bible opens with the creative word of God. God says, let there be this, and let there be that, and so on. And the Bible ends with the destructive word of God, where the Lord Jesus Christ wipes out all the armies of the earth with his word. And So already, Jesus is bringing peace. But not yet. He's going to bring worldwide peace among mankind, among the natural order. And then, after all that's over, we will live eternally with Him in peace in heaven. So, after all that's over, then we will spend eternity in heaven in peace, forever and ever and ever. And so, this morning we've seen how this child prophesied in Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. He's a sovereign ruler. He's in charge. Again, it's appropriate at Christmas we talk about the baby in the manger. Let him grow up to be the sovereign king that he is. Secondly, we looked at how he's the eternal ruler. His rulership never ends. His kingdom never ends. And then we looked thirdly at how he's a peaceful ruler. Again, I can't say it enough. The prince of peace will rule over the earth at peace. From the city of peace, Jerusalem. He's already bringing peace one heart at a time. But one day, he will bring complete peace and total global peace among people and among the natural order. And then, when all that's over, we will live forever with him in peace in heaven. How about you here this morning? I talked about earlier about receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and he rose again the third day. Have you received Christ as Savior? All these very exciting things that are yet to come, and I'm not saying this boastfully, they apply to me. Every one of these things apply to me. I'm going to sit on the throne. I'm going to reign. I'm going to rule. All that stuff. I'm gonna, All of that. It's mine not because I'm better than you. It's mine because I received Christ as my Savior. And if you receive Christ as your Savior, it's yours too. Have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you believed that he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you? If so, all of this is yours. If not, None of it is yours. And if you already are a believer, like I am, be encouraged. Be encouraged by this baby that was born in the manger. Don't keep him there. Let him grow up in your mind. Let him grow up in your heart. He is king of kings. Lord of lords. Always has been. Always will be. Be encouraged. He's coming back. And he's going to rule and reign on this earth. And it'll be like nothing we've ever, ever seen before. And you, perhaps like me, in that case, will love big government. Why? Because of who's running it. And it'll be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement. But we are concerned there may be some here who have yet to receive Christ as Savior. May they not wait. May they invite Jesus into their hearts today, even right now. Not just so that they can be part of all this exciting stuff coming in the future, but so they can be saved from their sins forever. Give them grace and faith. And for those of us who are already believers, may we be encouraged in the big government that is yet to come through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The invitation.